uh, we take you to uh, the briefing by uh, the Gauteng Command Council. And uh, this, of course, after report was released, forensic report, into uh, what uh, the MEC for Health in Gauteng, Bandile Masuku, and others knew about the Gauteng PPE scandal. Let's take you to that commission now with the Gauteng Premier, David Makura, currently addressing. Oh, with the healthcare, the human resource. Uh, again, the feedback we got this morning is that there's lots of pressure on our healthcare workers, that as we add more beds, as we bring in new technology, we have got significant new technology that will help to save life. Some of that technology, you see it in boxes here this morning, the, the CEO was saying to me, this is new technology that we dearly need. Professor Rudo Matiba was saying this technology will help us. We are an old hospital. It will help us even with the old wards that they will have better technology. We shouldn't just look at the new areas. But we do want to say we are committed to building that Lillian Goy District Hospital. We are committed to the upgrades of the old hospitals, but we don't want to leave, to rush to the new and abandon that which works. So Chris Hani Baragwanath is a center of excellence in Africa. It is here where the battle against COVID was, was fought. And lots of lives, yes, we lost 500 lives right here at Chris Hani Baragwanath, but we saved many, many, many lives, thanks to the healthcare workers. And so when we do infrastructure, it must always be in response to what your needs are because we must be guided by you. Uh, it mustn't just be what we from head offices do. It must, it must be guided by you. So 3,422 new beds is what we would add. We may have done it differently. Uh, we resisted the pressure to just put up many field hospitals all over Gauteng. We said we are bringing the numbers into our existing hospitals. I really don't want to take off my mask, but it is just, it is just for, I, I really want to not, I don't want to speak without my mask. So if I keep pulling it up, bear with me. Uh, <clears throat> because I'm also talking to the people of Tembisa. Uh, when I was saying to them, where is your mask? I must have my mask on all the time. <clears throat> last, the last issue I want to speak to is, as we do all this, as we were responding to COVID, our province did very well. There was a period where we were really doing very well. But there is something that happened that really, really, it, it, it did it put a terrible blot on the great work that we were doing. That is PPE corruption. And I know that this is impacts on the morale of the health workers who have been doing great work on the ground, who have been doing, taking great, tremendous risks. This impact on frontline workers who have been risking coming to from level five, who have been working right up to now. So corruption, PPE corruption, has had a negative impact on the great work that our province has done. And I must say that often when we talk about this PPE corruption, 
we often forget that the Houghton healthcare workers, Houghton institutions, uh, the Houghton provincial government working with other agencies and civil society put up a brave fight. But those who went, who saw PPE and COVID-19 as opportunities uh, to enrich themselves have done a great disservice. And that's why I always want to say we will leave no stone unturned. Every act of corruption or collusion that took place in the midst of fighting a terrible enemy, merciless enemy, it is time that people must be put to jail. I want to emphasize everyone found to have been corrupt in the midst of a, a difficult fight against an invisible enemy in the midst of great, tremendous risks taken by ordinary people and in the midst of a battle where some lost their lives in our country. Action has to be taken. Of course, action has to be taken based on evidence, on investigations, uh, and, and there must be consequences. You already know that so far, there are several officials in the Gauteng Department of Health who have either been suspended, some have resigned. Uh, others have been suspended or they've resigned because they clearly did things that are wrong, they must answer for those. Others is because they didn't take enough action. That's what the investigations would be saying, that those who with authority could have done more and they didn't. Others is because they did things that are clearly, clearly wrong. I want to emphasize that we want the money back. We want to retrieve the money. Uh, we want the money back lost to PPE corruption. And any act of corruption anywhere in the, in the, in the course of uh, our, our response to COVID-19 and any other area of government. So where there's corruption, there must be firm action. So I have been receiving reports from the Special Investigation Unit on a weekly basis about the investigations they are conducting. They, every time they give me a report, there's an identified area of action and action has to be taken. Sometimes the decisions have to be made by the relevant executive authority. It may be an MEC or an acting MEC. Uh, it, if it is the premier, it is, I, I take that action. It may be a head of department who must suspend an official. But action must also be taken against the businesses, the private sector businesses, that clearly colluded with uh, government officials uh, in, uh, in this uh, uh, act of corruption. So we have acted on a number of one report as the Premier of the province I've particularly been keen to receive is to know whether my, my colleague, Dr. Bandile Masuku, the MEC for Health, was involved in any acts of collusion or acts of corruption. This is a report I've been keen to, to get from the special investigation. I've keenly been awaiting for this report.
Last week, Friday, that is on the 2nd of October, I received the latest update from the, the Special Investigating Unit uh, on the matter pertaining to the role of the health MEC in the PPE procurement in Gauteng province. It is a matter of record that on the 30th of July I placed the MEC on special leave and appointed an acting MEC. I today therefore report to the people of Gauteng I want the mask always on. The mask must always be on. <clears throat> Today I report back to the people of Gauteng on the findings of the SIU and their recommendations and therefore the decision that I would have taken coming from that. So the SIU has found that the health MEC, Dr. Vandile Masuku, has failed to execute his functions in compliance with the Constitution and the Public Finance Management Act. I want to repeat, the SIU has found that Health MEC Dr. Bandile Masuku has failed to execute his functions in compliance with the Constitution and the Public Finance Management Act, the PFMA. Based on this finding, they then recommended that the Premier of the province should take administrative action against the MEC for the purpose of determining the suitability to hold office as the responsible MEC for health. With regard to the substantive public interest issue of whether the MEC was involved in acts of corruption or collusion, the SIU reported to me that this investigation is ongoing. I've said to you what is it that they have found, but I was also very, very keen to say on the substantive matter of public interest of PPE corruption. The SIU has reported to me that their investigation on this part uh, of the work is ongoing. And this, this investigation will, will hopefully be concluded and the facts be established as soon as possible. Because as the Premier of the province, I want the facts about whether the MEC was involved in acts of corruption or collusion. I want those facts uh, because it's a matter of grave concern relating to clean governance, which is a pillar of what we have been trying to do in this province for a long time. So just based on the, the first thing I said, based on their finding where they say that the MEC has failed to execute his functions in compliance with the Constitution and the PFMA, I have, I, I have decided as the Premier of the province to discharge 
Dr. Bandile Masuku from his responsibilities as the Gauteng MEC for Health. I have taken into cognizance the contribution that MEC Masuku played in improving the Department of Health since his appointment last year in May 2019 and the leadership that he provided during COVID-19 in this province is something that is undisputable. But there, there are issues before me as the head of the provincial government based on the SIU report that I must act on. And it is on that basis that I have decided to discharge MEC Masuku as the MEC responsible for health in our province. Taking into account that there is the part of the SIU report that is uh, still outstanding, they've given me part of one part of the report and they've said they are still co completing the investigation on acts of corruption or collusion. I will not fill this vacancy for the MEC for Health until they have submitted the final report. So MEC Mamabulo will continue as the acting MEC for Health until I have received the final report of the SIU as it pertains to those issues about the acts of collusion and corruption which they say is an investigation that is ongoing. I do want to know and get this completed before I appoint the MEC for Health in Gauteng uh, because I want to say, should MEC Masuku be cleared, I will gladly reappoint him as the MEC for health. Should he be cleared, I will gladly reappoint him as the MEC for health. But as things go at the moment, that's part of the investigation that is continuing. And I want to say that corruption is a very, very serious matter that as a country, we have to send a strong message that where corruption is established and it's determined, there must be consequences. At this stage, as it pertains to the part of the investigation about corruption, that part will hopefully be concluded as soon as possible. So I keenly await the final determination of the SIU pertaining to allegations of corruption and collusion, but I am acting on the part where they say he has failed. I am acting on that, on that part already. I want to also conclude by saying I further asked the Minister of Health, Dr. Zoelim Kize, for a reinforcement this is critical time. The risk for a surge is always there, staring us in our faces. Due to the several suspensions and resignations in the Department of Health, because of the ongoing SIU investigation, I have asked Minister Zoelim Kize to reinforce. This is a request I made in June 
Uh, some of you, the CEO, may remember that in June we were here, uh, Prof. Matiba, we were here in June with Minister, uh, Minister Mkize to hand, to hand over the ventilators, donations from the U.S. Uh, in June, I had requested, in anticipation of the surge happening, and continue to say to the minister, uh, we, will, we will ask you for reinforcement when the situation becomes difficult. Now I have activated that in writing to say, minister, we have several officials who we have suspended because of the investigation of the SIU in the department. We don't want the department to remain with too few senior officials so that its response to COVID-19, should the surge be in our face in a few weeks or a, or a month or so ahead, we must have the full capacity to respond. So I am awaiting, the minister has reassured me that he will uh, consider this reinforcement. We do have senior officials in the Department of Health. Uh, we have very capable people on the ground, especially managing our wards, very capable clinicians. Uh, we've got a lot of capable CEOs. Many of them are new CEOs, recently appointed to fill the vacancies. They are the ones who are running our healthcare system. We have got, we've got lots of workers who are maintaining our hospitals, making sure that the hospitals are clean, patients are attended to. But the head office of the Department of Health in the province has to be reinforced. And that's what I have asked uh, Minister Zuelim Kiza to do. As we continue with the investigation into PPE corruption, because this investigation is continuing and uh, it may take much longer. Uh, and we don't know which other officials may be found to be wrong. So, in conclusion, we will continue to work with the people of our province in communities. We must all join hands in combating COVID-19. Our, our leaders of our hospitals, the CEOs, many of them are here from different hospitals. We want to continue to urge you to continue focusing on the battle. Uh, the battle is to save lives, to combat the surge, the surge is something we must really, really avoid. Uh, let's continue the battle. We must continue to provide capacity to you, additional PPE of good quality, because one of the lessons we have learned, this PPE corruption, coming from feedback is from workers themselves, is that some of the PPE was of poor quality. Uh, Poor quality PPE is not very good. It can't help us in the fight against COVID. The distribution of PPE at all times in our, in our hospitals is something that is receiving attention from the acting MEC for Health, working with the team uh, at the provincial level. I want to say, let us continue as Houghton province to fight this battle. At the same time that we are focusing on the real enemy, COVID-19, we must also battle other twin enemies. The twin corruption is a very key enemy in the battle to transform our country and build a better life. 
Gender-based violence is a very, very real, real, real enemy. Particularly during COVID-19, women have been, have been on, on the... We saw the number of women, especially in July, the number of women who were getting infected with COVID-19, those numbers were rising. At the same time that they are at the cold face of violence, gender-based violence perpetrated by men. So we need to fight these battles with the same determination because if we want to ensure our health system responds to challenges today is COVID-19. There may be another pandemic after COVID-19. What lessons would, have, would we have drawn? Do, would, would we have built enduring capacity, more human resources, uh, more health infrastructure and better health infrastructure? Would we have done that? But would we have also drawn lessons that wrongdoing, when you want to do something in the, in the, in the of fighting, fighting pandemics, we must be intolerant to wrongdoing, particularly corruption. Uh, there may be wrongdoing about mistakes. Human beings can commit mistakes. Someone did not, did not do something that they were supposed to do. But we must be totally intolerant of corruption. And I know sometimes our senior healthcare workers and our senior managers, including at head office, Sometimes they act uh, feeling that if you commit a mistake, you might be lumped together with those who are corrupt. I know the senior managers in the health, health headquarters, people who are very well-meaning, and I'm not talking about their crooks and their goals who are very, those who are very well-meaning. I know they have, been, they, have been, they have been worried and shaken that even if they do things in the best interest and commit mistakes, they will be conflated with the corrupt. No. I want to assure you that you may commit mistakes. We, we are able to separate corruption from, from uh, wrong judgments arriving at a decision that was wrong, which may have uh, had other consequences cannot be conflated with corruption. Corruption must be dealt with where you have people who have systematically and deliberately sought to benefit themselves, their friends, and their families from the resources that are supposed to face life. That we must be intolerant of, and we must fight it with the same determination. So thank you so much. Uh, we are at Krisani Barabana today. We will be going to the next hospital. We will go to all the hospitals, especially those 10 hospitals we identified in the state of the province address and said we need to upgrade them, we need to improve them, we need to, we need to improve uh, and refurbish them. We also need to build new facilities. We will go to all those. So thank you so much. All right, uh, and uh, that was Gauteng Premier David Makura and uh, announcing there, amongst others, the big announcement is that uh, the Gauteng MEC for Health, uh, Dr. Bandile Masugu, has been fired. And uh, this uh, as a result of what came out of the SIU probe. Update at noon with Sakina Kamwendo, midday to 1 p.m. 
Well, thank you so much, Ustile Saku, and so much to digest here this afternoon. It's been a busy, busy afternoon. And just some of the stories, uh, the State Capture Commission of Inquiry, evidence leader there, advocate uh, Paul Pretoria, saying that there are compelling reasons for former President Jacob Zuma to actually appear before the commission. And uh, that, of course, uh, followed by the commission chairperson issuing a summons for the former president to appear before the State Capture Commission of inquiry. So we have that story. We've had uh, what uh, was just announced at the Chris Hani Beraguanath Hospital by the Gauteng um, Premier David Makura uh, announcing there that he has indeed fired health MEC Dr. Bandile Masugu uh, on evidence thus far uh, before him from the Special Investigating Unit. And of course, uh, that story unfolding in Cape Town where the public protector has lost her bid that paves the way for Parliament uh, to start uh, that process says into looking into her fitness to hold office. All of that is what we're going to be unpacking with Professor Sumadota Vikeni. Professor, good afternoon. Thanks so much for your time. Good afternoon, Sakina, and good afternoon to listeners of SAFM. Well, what a busy morning and early afternoon we've had. Uh, firstly, starting off uh, with uh, that Gauteng um, uh, uh, PPE scandal announcement. And we know a lot of talk has been had around this. Uh, various investigations have been um, uh, conducted into this, uh, Professor. But just to recap what the MEC had to say uh, very tightly. So uh, rather the Premier and uh, Premier Makura saying that action has to be taken and it is time that people are put in jail because we want to retrieve the money. He then goes on to also talk about the role of private sector companies and the collusion and corruption in this aspect. But then the big story, of course, um, Professor Fikeni, he says that he has taken the decision to fire MEC Masugu based on the evidence uh, from the SIU that found that the MEC had actually failed to execute his functions in compliance with the Public Finance Management Act and the Constitution. But then it gets very confusing because he then goes on to say that he would not hesitate to reappoint MEC uh, Masugu if he is cleared by the further investigative work of the SIU. So am I the only one confused here? You may not be the only one confused, but remember here there is a case being laid out. first one is to say I'm not judging his competence and the work he has done, but there is a corruption issue. So there is a political management to say if he goes through what looks like he might be implicated in the corruption scandal, if he goes through that process and it so happens that he can contest and come out clean, which is less likely if the SIU has gone through its work, then he would be able to consider. This is a preemptive strike to the opponents who might say, but why release him now? Why not wait for the full trial and everything else, but rather to say, for what has been given to me is the basis for me to act and also to make sure that work continues in the department without any unnecessary disruption. Remember that if you have an ongoing, uh, you know, investigation, a return of MEC, some of the people from within the department who might have participated 
in investigation or given evidence may not be as comfortable. Understanding that, but is his action then not a bit harsh? Because why fire him? Because effectively he has fired MEC Masuku. So if you have fired him and, and, and you say your basis for doing that as the Premier is that he failed to execute his function, on what basis then can you undo that? Well, I do think that he has sent a very clear signal that he would be prepared to do exactly that. But at the same time, remember that if you fail to execute your function, it might as well be that you are made aware of certain things, but you do not act or you omit doing certain things even when the evidence before you indicates that some wrongdoing is taking place. That alone, before you even become a person actively involved in corruption, is precisely the kind of vigilance in governance that the MEC is supposed to do. Isn't this opportunistic, though? Because there have been previous reports, there have been uh, previous inquests. If you take the life Esitimeni matter, for example, and what was revealed there, why didn't the Premier take uh, a, a similar strong action uh, as he is right now and as swiftly as he is doing right now? Remember that the political context and the moment that you have is rather different. The public mood is such that it is so intense, very antagonistic to the notion of stealing during the time of vulnerability of a nation and also during the time when many people are losing their jobs and when PPEs could have saved this or that life. So the pressure from below and the public opinion is quite intense, but not only that. During the period from life as it many to the present, something has been going on. The first one, the recent elections took place, so there was no fear of immediate national and provincial elections when you normally have greater political dynamics. But also there is a signal that is increasingly coming from even the ruling party because of the pressure from the people that action ought to be taken against people involved in corruption. So you begin to see even people who are donors to the ANC, as the case now with the asbestos case and many others. So the capacity of the law enforcement agencies, as well as their boldness and willingness to act, taking a signal that it is okay at this moment, there would be no interference, as would have been the case. All those combined cumulatively might be encouraging what seemed to be a decisive action at the moment. So if the SIU finds that the MEC failed in his function of compliance with the Constitution and the Public Finance Management Act, one would imagine that that very same breach would have occurred throughout the process, throughout that value chain. So how should the Premier then address that particular situation? Professor? He appoints the MECs and politically, therefore, is responsible for that layer. And he signaled in the uh, presentation that HOD or acting HOD and other levels will have to deal with those reporting to them. 
where there seemed to have been a problem in terms of the neglect of duty or mismanagement of this issue. Whilst the SIU continues with the criminal uh, aspect of this investigation. And of course, uh, he also spoke about collusion and collusion with private sector companies. A lot of attention was focused on this Royal Batka deal that involved uh, the alleged collusion between the Masukus and uh, the uh, Dikos, who are family friends. But there were many other companies uh, that were also listed uh, who as per the head of procurement, uh, did not actually appear on the database to supply uh, materials to the Gauteng department. So in that regard, the private sector companies, how would this have played out better, Professor, if, if possible? Because we're focusing on these people, but there are others. There was an 800 million rand tender, for example, uh, uh, um, that was awarded to a company with a sole director. Why are we not focusing on all these others? Well, I do think that proximity of the wife of Royal Barca owner, Chief Matsutane, to the presidency is what has given clout to this particular, uh, you know, business. But remember that there has been constant reports that we have listed more companies now. I think it started with almost 30 companies, and they said now we have more with the SIU investigation. So the fact that that Barca, Royal Barca one, is very important is to the extent of the wife of the business owner being from the president's office. And given the action that uh, the Gauteng Premier has taken against uh, the, 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 the MEC under his watch, what should we expect from the president with regard to Ms. Diko? Well, I do think that they may take one of two routes here, wait for the full investigation, and then take action. Or they might actually, uh, you know, take action as some indications do come if the uh, spokesperson of the president so happened to be directly involved in the process. So increasingly, as people related to this case are implicated. The chances of the spokesperson coming out clean or her husband are actually getting slimmer. And just looking at what transpired earlier, Professor, because we did ask to speak to you on a range of issues, the State Capture Commission of Inquiry moving to that and um, the Justice uh, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo issuing a summons uh, for President Jacob Zuma to appear even via video link if he must, but must appear on the 16th uh, uh, before the commission. So let's just take a listen uh, before we get some analysis on this one as I understand the law, is where I believe that he has information that may assist the commission in its investigation. But then in that case, I'm forcing him, not for purposes of hearing his side of the story, I'm forcing him in order to do my work to investigate the issues that I'm supposed to investigate. So, as I understand the position, one, 
I need to observe the Audi Alteram Partem rule until such time that I'm satisfied that he is not interested in being afforded that opportunity. But the fact that he is not interested in being afforded that opportunity doesn't preclude me from saying, come, I want to know certain issues that you appear to have knowledge about. Yes. And it is in regard to that second part, it seems to me, where he, he can't say, leave me alone. I'm not interested in being heard by you. Yes, Chair. The, um, that, in our view, is accurate subject to one qualification, which I'll come to in a moment. Of course, there is a distinction between the duty on the Commission to give every opportunity to an implicated person to state his or her side of this, the case. And the implicated person then has an election whether to exercise that right to speak or not to speak. The duty of the chair to investigate arises out of the terms of reference and that is a duty in, real, in respect of which the chair has no discretion. You must investigate and we'll come to the grounds upon which we submit, Chair, and you have said that uh, there's a duty on this Commission to explore those, to investigate those issues where the former President has evidence or can give evidence uh, to inform your findings. I mean, there, there can be no doubt that if on information available to me or evidence submitted to the Commission by other witnesses. There can be no doubt that if I form a view that a particular person may have knowledge or does have knowledge of matters that are relevant to what I am investigating, I must take steps to get that person to come and testify. That's if I don't do that, I would be failing in my duty. Yes. Chair, in correspondence, and this is the qualification I have to um, the propositions that uh, have been uh, put uh, now, um, the former president has asserted that he's exercising a right not to participate in the um, matters of the Commission, and by exercising that right, he is in fact participating. There is no right uh, not to uh, respond to a 3-3 notice implicating a witness. That witness has an election. He may say, or she may say, I'm not going to respond, or I am going to respond. But there is no right not to deal at all with the matters which are the subject of the Commission's terms of reference if the Commission determines that a person must come. 
And that, of course, uh, happened earlier on at uh, the Commission of Inquiry into allegations of state capture and a summons being issued there for uh, former President Jacob Zuma to appear before the commission. Professor Figeni, uh, just listening to that, so what are the rules of engagement here? The president, as we heard there, stating that he has a right not to participate. Uh, the uh, commission um, uh, uh, chair there saying that, in fact, he does not have a right not to appear before that commission if he is summoned, as in this case, to do so. So what exactly are the rules of engagement? Well, I do think that they are laid out that there is an obligation of any affected person that the commission may determine will be vital as a witness or to clarify some of the facts implicating the person to appear before the commission. So there is no right not to appear. The only thing left for the former president, Jacob Zuma team, would be to prove that his appearance would prejudice him or the chair of the commission has formed a view, or there are other factors that will make him not to arrive at a fair judgment. And that can only be adjudicated on by a court. And then, of course, Professor, um, uh, former President Zuma's uh, legal team did not even appear before the commission this morning. But they, of course, are hinging this on another matter that was previously ventilated by them, in which they allege that the uh, chairperson of the commission, uh, the Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, is actually biased towards the former president. And uh, therefore, they feel that there is no fairness forthcoming in that regard. So... Please talk to us about that and the implications of this matter, because they're saying what they expected was that the Deputy Chief Justice would ventilate that particular matter first, where they have asked him to recuse himself, and he has not dealt with that, and therefore they did not appear this morning. Well, remember that it is not up to the people who are or receiving end of the commission to make a determination of what could be prejudiced or not. And that, remember, when you go back to the very history of this particular commission, that the former president was reluctant to have the commission in place because he was at the center. He was also reluctant to make sure that the commission itself is appointed because he believed that he ought to appoint the commission himself. So there is a history here, even if you simply take away the fact that you have the Deputy Chief Justice Zondo at play. So there is a history and a pattern. And if the team of former President Zuma feels strongly in any other way, they would have to go to court. Otherwise, as the situation stands, they are obliged to actually appear before the commission. Now, the Jacob G. Zuma Foundation also issued a statement whereby uh, they took umbrage, especially with the fact that they say the commission chairperson went to see Zuma's doctors regarding the former president's health. And they found this to be particularly distasteful and perhaps out of the bounds of what 
can and should be done. What do you make of that, Professor? Well, I do think that you would expect a foundation of a person uh, to put up a defense, and some of it could be quasi-legal, some of it could be political. And remember here, throughout these cases, there is an effort to provide a political solution to what is essentially a legal problem. That is where the main problem is. Hence the word like political witch hunt and uh, the words of bias keep coming. And that is not new. Most of the commissions have suffered the same thing. And the problem of South Africa, which doesn't sit comfortably with constitutional democracy, is that we've tried to politicize virtually every other case where we believe we might actually be on the receiving end. And yet there are various legal uh, avenues for anyone who feels that they are prejudiced in one form or another. It would actually be unlikely that a state capture commission, which primarily praises the former president of the center, all of a sudden it does its work adequately without him, who is being mentioned by several witnesses appearing to give evidence. And 34 witnesses, to be exact. And just finally, with regard to the public protector, the Western Cape High Court uh, has dismissed that urgent uh, bid by the public protector to halt that parliamentary process uh, to have her uh, ultimately, one would imagine, impeached. So um, this is, of course, that inquiry into her fitness to hold office, Professor Figeni. Uh, what's your comment on that? Well, I do think that it doesn't look good for the public protector, ultimately, that he keeps having these major legal cases that uh, she is losing from time to time. Even if she was not removed, it wouldn't actually paint a good picture of her tenure in office. And secondly, it was expected that courts wouldn't interfere on another branch of government on a responsibility they have, because remember, there has been no sitting yet to determine, uh, you know, whether she's fit to hold office or not. To say that that process shouldn't even begin might actually be a preemptive step that might prevent the parliament from doing its own work. What could have been the case is just simply to focus on accepting that parliament is the one that appoints and can have a process to remove. If she had a very specific technical issue as to what should be done, that is what she could be focusing on. But here it looks like a challenge to the parliament itself playing its own role. And remember, Parliament has many other responsibilities and certain Chapter 9 institutions that it must hold responsible. So they wouldn't want to have any case study or any uh, precedent where Parliament is constrained from doing exactly that. Professor Somadota Fikini, thank you so much uh, for helping us uh, unpack uh, all of these stories.